Welcome to the Economics Echo podcast, where distilling and discussing is the name of the game. <sighs> Yo, I need to work on a new intro. This one's dead. <laughs> bear with me, bear with me. As coronavirus shut down the global economy, the value of American stocks slumped. In the weeks that followed, COVID-19 killed tens of thousands. Racial and social unrest tore through the country and 23 million people were made jobless. But the stock markets climbed and climbed. By June 8th last year, the S&P 500 index had gained 38% since its low point in the middle of March. But why is this? Why were stock markets completely ignoring what was happening in the economy? And to answer this question, we firstly need to define what the stock market is and what the economy is and figure out how they're so intertwined. So the stock market is essentially a marketplace whereby investors connect to buy and sell shares of ownership in public liability publicly traded companies and to join the stock market a company has to go through a process known as an initial public offering aka an IPO. Now the stock market serves the purpose of providing capital to firms that they can then use to invest, expand and become more efficient. Another purpose is to give investors who purchase stocks the chance to share in the profits of companies. Now, you may have heard of uh, stock indexes like the UK's FTSE 100 or the United States S&P 500 index. These track the performance of a group of stocks over time. All right, what is the economy then? Well, the economy is essentially a system for distributing limited resources. Confused? Well, let me put it this way, um, or how economists put it. They say that econ economics is the study of scarcity. That's because resources such as workers, land and raw materials are limited, while the demand for them is actually infinite. Basically, we always want more. So if you pick up any old economics textbook, it will answer the question, what is the economy as a system for distributing scarce resources? And when we're talking about the economy in this context, we're actually going to be using the United States economy as a base case study. And in some countries, the government chooses what to produce, how much and for whom. In others, it's, it's uh, determined by what people want to buy and how much businesses can provide, aka supply and demand. The economy can seem hard to actually pin down what it is, but we actually all shape it through our choices. You're contributing to it every time you buy something or go to work, and it also has an impact if you choose to spend or work less. What everyone does with their money can determine how the economy is doing. Which brings us nicely over to how can you tell if the economy is doing well or badly? 
while people use many expressions to describe the economy. They say it's healthy, thriving, or in a good place. In bad times, you will often hear people say it's weak, struggling, and depressed. Perhaps it can be hungover too? But here are four key metrics to give you an idea of how an economy is performing. There's firstly, the most common one, GDP or gross domestic product, aka economic growth. Now, this is a measure of all the goods and services produced in a country over a period of time, for example, a year. An increase means the economy is growing. Metric number two, inflation. This is the pace at which prices in shops rise. The government considers anything above or below 2% undesirable. And then metric number three, unemployment. How many people want to work but can't find a job? The fewer, the better. Metric number four, finally, inequality. How a country's wealth and prosperity is distributed. Economists tend to see high inequality as a sign of an unhealthy economy. Okay, that all seems to make sense in the definitions of the stock market and the economy. So, why are stock markets so divorced to what is happening on the ground in the real economy? And what does it actually tell us about how the economy ultimately works. To begin with though, just a brief introduction into stock exchanges like the London Stock Exchange or the Shanghai Stock Exchange. So stock exchanges are where stockbrokers and traders can buy and sell securities such as shares of stocks, bonds and other financial instruments. Stock exchanges may also provide facilities for the issue and redemption of such securities and instruments and capital events, including the payment of income and dividends. So currently, as we speak, the New York Stock Exchange, based in the US, of course, is the largest in the world. And just to give you a kind of a brief history of alignment between what was happening on the stock exchanges and what was happening in the real economy. So believe it or not, the fortunes of companies listed on stock markets or stock exchanges actually correlated with the livelihoods of ordinary people or ordinary Americans in this case for this particular podcast episode. They used to be closely aligned. In fact, in the 1950s, the New York Stock Exchange made an effort to tempt small retail investors who had been scared off by the 1929 Wall Street crash to buy stocks. You know, during this time, actually, 90% of the stock market was held by retail investors, which is unheard of today. And this had kind of a dual effect. One being that whenever the economy was doing particularly well, companies would do well as well. And as a result, the stock market would rise. And the other effect being when the stock market rises, ordinary people would feel wealthier. And yes, they would be indeed wealthier because they're the main stakeholders in the stock market. 
And these dual links meant that the health of the economy and the stock market moved together in tandem. So those were the good old days. But now, today, in 2021, things look kind of different, to say the very least. Stock markets and the economy seem poles apart. And to understand why, you just have to look at the indices, which track the value of companies whose stock is being traded. And the most famous index of them all is the Standard & Poor's 500, also known as the S&P 500, which contains America's 500 largest publicly traded companies, including Apple, Johnson & Johnson, Tesla, (laughs) GameStop, and others. And the way it works is pretty much the value of an index rises or falls depending on how well the companies it tracks are expected to do. So the value of the S&P 500 has been up since March 2020. And this particular index tracks some of the world's largest tech companies like Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon and Alphabet, which owns Google. And by the way, all of these companies have thrived throughout the pandemic. Their business models of providing software or delivering goods to your home have been less impacted or even helped by the coronavirus pandemic than other industries. Hence why we are seeing the S&P 500 is up and not really following what's happening in the wider economy. But the, the, the index, the S&P 500, is not just driven by big tech giants. You know, in early March, the S&P 500 was indeed falling because of investor jitters based on the rampant coronavirus, which is spreading everywhere rapidly. And this caused the central bank in the United States, the Federal Reserve, um, they were forced to step in with a range of relief packages designed to avert an economic catastrophe. And they did so on March 23rd. And subsequently, the next day, March 24th, the S&P 500 plus other markets in the US and indeed the world started rising up again, shooting up. Because the Fed, um, also known as the Federal Reserve, actually created new money to buy corporate bonds and lend to companies, allowing businesses to borrow cash on an almost unprecedented scale. The thing is about stock markets is that they're forward-looking as share prices are based on investor predictions. So it's actually not unusual to see them rallying long before the economy picks up. And one criticism of the Fed's actions, and indeed other central banks, is that they've created a false sense of optimism. And speaking of optimism, vaccines. So we all know that they're out, they've been approved, and being administered into arms all over the world right now as we speak. You may have already had had, uh, your shot. 
The point here being is that um, there is so much hope being pinned on vaccines, being the silver bullet that it will save the world and return us to normality and crucially put the global economy on a much firmer footing. Which is another reason why you're seeing stock markets up based on that investor forward-looking share price whereby vaccines will come in and rescue us and you know send us back to the good old days if you will but back to stock markets for a second because the way that share prices have risen so rapidly has created this awkward side effect for policymakers whether it be central bankers politicians or otherwise the emergency support enacted by the United States Congress and the Federal Reserve actually helped a great deal. Don't get it twisted. I don't want to discount that. You know, poverty rates induced by the pandemic actually went down by quite a bit, averting an economic disaster. But at the same time, at the same time, Fed stimulus and relief packages caused share prices to rise. And that increase has disproportionately benefited the rich. Because whenever the Federal Reserve steps, steps in and increases money supply in a crisis, the value of assets goes up, even if, even if the economy is struggling. Which is unfair, right? Because... Most Americans own stocks through investment plans like pensions, but the richest in society have their wealth far more concentrated in stocks. 88% of those earning 100,000 US dollars per annum own stocks. And get this, just 19%, 19% of those earning under $35,000 per annum own stocks. In fact, the vast majority of all stocks belong to the top 10% of American households. To conclude this episode, my final thoughts are this. Look, it's abundantly clear that the economy is not the stock market and the stock market is not the economy. Yes, of course, I would prefer it if we're back in the good old days when these two entities moved in tandem but that's just not the case anymore we no longer live in that type of world and i fully understand i understand the economics behind central banks like the federal reserve you know being active because they couldn't have just sat back and not bailed out these companies and financial markets because of the great economic damage that would have brought for everyone, both rich and poor. And the alternative, had they sat back, would have been significantly worse. But admittedly, it is an uncomfortable dynamic that policymakers have to contend with because of the link between what they do and the value of asset prices. They seemingly have to help everyone by helping, in particular, the rich. The rise in uh, stock markets like the S&P 500 have levered off somewhat nowadays um, in 2021. But it seems like 
the fate of both the economy and the stock market are tied and the health of both will be determined by how and when the Federal Reserve and other central banks remove their stimulus measures. So definitely watch this space going forward. Well, that has been it for episode 32 of the Economics Echo podcast. Be sure to subscribe from your favorite podcast provider and join us next week as we tackle the big question in economics right now. Inflation. Could COVID-19, when it finally fades away, cause prices to rise and shoot up significantly? That's the big debate right now. We'll tackle that next week. Until then, this is Economics Echo signing out. Peace.